Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole presents a space podity. We're in our phase two where we talk about the guide to all David Bowie records and albums, singles, and everything else in between. But let's be honest, if we tried to hit the bottom depths and the dregs of all of his work, um, this would be a five-year project. And uh, we're going to try to blow through his entire catalog in probably six months. Um, So God be with us. Uh, and plus, yeah, the, the deep digging, I mean, yes, that's what we're doing. But come on, listeners. That's what our, our social media is for. Let us know what we're missing. That's, we want that. Uh, we wanted a good discussion about, you know, the, uh, you know, the B-side to Dancing in the Street or whatever. Come on, let us know. Well, we'll probably tell you what the B-side to Dancing in the Street is. But anyways. Yes, Eric, Eric will. Eric, uh, Eric, Eric and his son will. Eric has become our de facto social media interaction guy, which is a... He's pretty good at it. He's much more upbeat than I would be. Actually, yeah, got into it. Got into a scrape with a guy on the internet this week. Oh, the internet! But um, oh, the internet! It giveth and it taketh away. Yeah, it really does. But yeah, now there's a, as we said in our first episode of the David Bowie thing, which was actually our thirty third episode, I think. Um, yeah, there's too much. Even with this album, there's just too much going on already. There's just he's he's in little uh, uh, independent films at this time and half these songs were released on weird scrap uh, weird scraps here and there and they had to stitch them together into one album and i'm glad that eric did all the homework for us again uh, he <laughs> hey, the- we should probably we should probably introduce ourselves though we but, should uh said, so the person that was just talking uh that was a fellow by the name of steve uh i'm talking and this is uh mark Marky B, and uh, I'm also joined with Eric. Eric, say hello to the friends and family out there. Hello, friends and family. Don't step on the pansies as you prance to our to our gathering today. Oh my! That's where we're <sighs> headed. <laughs> Going through those wheeling and dealing 1969, and we're not talking about the Brian Adams song of summer of '69. We are talking about David Bowie's second record, which was in the, for some God knows inexplicable reason, uh, self-titled, which was also the name of his first album, which was also self-titled. But then Cooler Heads prevailed and it got reissued as uh, Space Oddity eventually. But before then in the UK, I think it was known as Man of Words, Man of Music. But yes, the second record of David Bowie, if you want to say it's the self-titled, it's the 1969 release. I think Man of Words, Man of Music is a better title. That that almost sounds like a retrospective for like somebody who's actually been around for decades. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But anyways, uh, before we do that, uh, some basic housekeeping. Um, uh so, Gonna clean the windows before we do this. First on the agenda, if we haven't said it before on the show, I know we said it on our Facebook page and Twitter page, but big thanks to unofficial fourth member Greg Walgast for putting together our amazing 
artwork for season two. That Bowie die, he drew that by hand. So big ups to him. Check out uh, Greg Walgast art on Instagram. Thing. For, for those of you uh, holdovers from season one, which I hope is most of you, uh, Nine Inch News, uh, HBO finally aired the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where Trent Reznor did his fantastic introduction to The Cure. Um, nice to see all that. So uh, uh, a, worthy, a worthy band with, given a proper introduction by a worthy man. Good stuff. Check it out. Yeah, that, 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 uh, that clip was floating around the internet for a few weeks now, but they put up the whole, the whole shebang. And um, there you go. That was on HBO. That was on what? What, what network was that on, Eric? That was on, that was on HBO. Oh, home you box get, office. Oh, home box office. Do you guys get home box office? Do you watch anything else in the home box office? Um, <laughs> there's a really good show. Um, it's uh, you guys probably haven't heard of it though. It's kind of like an underground show. Ballers. <laughs> That's where I was going with it. Ballers, baby. It's got the Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, Paul Shear, um, I, I think it's a cultural phenomenon. It kind of is in that same vein of entourage. Mm. I mean, everyone's talking about ballers. I mean, everywhere you go, people are like talking about ballers merchandise. I mean, have you been have you been balled up this week? That's a weird phrase. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. I, <laughs> I mean, um, it's kind of like you know the spiritual successor of Sex in the City, if you will, but for dudes. Yeah. Well, there needs it. to be more program for dudes. So it's true. Yeah. I was actually, yeah, no, I was actually referring to, uh, uh, clearly, uh, uh, John from Cincinnati. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's right. That's the one I was thinking yeah. of. They, uh, that's having a Renaissance. Everyone is getting back into it. Uh, David Milch is always welcome in everyone's home. So Ed O'Neill walking sadly along the beach is, uh, really, really taking hold with America once again. Yep. I mean, uh, I tell you, I think there's like six movies or six seasons in a movie hashtag going throughout Twitter right now for John from Cincinnati. And I signed the petition twice. Well, you I know, but, just, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, they, they allow you to do it three times because they wanted to succeed. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, after my, uh, latest ball fest, uh, a few days ago, I dozed off and then I woke up and there's this other show on. Have you guys heard of uh, it's on HBO as well. Have you heard of, of I, I, what is it? A, a song of water and the sun. I think that's it. Um, which is also, I think uh, David Bowie uh, lyric or song title from this album. We're going to be talking about today. Uh, <clears throat> I, that's the one that has uh, King Bowser's in that one. And <laughs> um, I think, uh, there's some Koopa Troopers as well as what I understand, right? Oh, definitely. No, uh, <laughs> and then I think it's a, there's a young uh, there's a young Steve Hawkins that rolls around in his wheelchair solving crimes. That's right. He doesn't yeah. say much. No. That's old Ironsides. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Terry. Yeah. The choice. Uh, it's interesting because the choice for him to speak only using a vocoder, even though it's medieval times, is very odd. But again. This is a David Bowie podcast, so it fits. Right. Yeah. But, uh, no, but but really, I was. Uh, did you see the new Game of Thrones episode? I did, and uh, consider me a fan. Um, you know, I uh, as we're getting to the end of that show. I mean, as someone put it, because there's been a lot of polarizing viewpoints on the show. That uh, that was it. Um, 
And without kind of spoiling anything, but you got to think of it this way. If this was the book, we'd be 96% to 98% done at this point. So you got to start to close some of these, yeah, exactly. these loose ends. So I'm fine with the way things played out in that episode. I'd imagine if the, the last two damn books ever came out, this last episode would be the very end of the second to last book, meaning the next three episodes would be the final book, which would probably be appropriate uh, for the amount of uh, con- condensing they did for the, the, the books as they, they sped along. So yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta close things up. But I liked it. I had, uh, I thought as you know, I need to watch it again with the brightness of my TV turned up like all the other people on the internet said, but, uh, Oh yeah. The story, the, the action and the story beats I enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, what did, uh, what, I had what was your two cents? I, I had a blast. I got up out of my seat barking at the screen and, and, and bellowing in joy at least a few times. And, uh, you know, without giving any spoilers, I couldn't, I couldn't have been happier with who got to, uh, draw the final blood from, oh, yeah. from the big, no, and that, and that character, they seeded those things. Um, we were texting. Now we're talking about the texting we were doing, but they yeah. did seed those things earlier in the show. And now it's, you look back and you're like, Oh, it all makes sense. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a cop out or it wasn't cheap. It, uh, it all made sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, uh, one thing that I lost it, so we're going to come back to whenever my brain catches up with my fucking mouth. For our Game of Thrones podcast, which, uh, you know, we yeah. do this so we can hashtag Game of Thrones and all of the new listeners we get. It's a great thing. Ma'am. But so you should be running our social media, sir. But, well, uh, I'm the man behind the man. <laughs> That's true. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, if I really wanted, if I really wanted to go down that route, we, we, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones for a little bit. And then I'm going to hashtag this episode Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> oh, yeah. That trailer dropped today. I'll tell you. I watched that trailer maybe seven times. <laughs> Jim Carrey's back, baby. Oh, yeah. It was, oh, it, yeah. Was, it, was, it was it was preposterous, <laughs> but I really I watched it and I was like, this is this is something that I, I can take my three year old to and he'll love it. And I think I can tolerate it. So that looked. Uh, yeah, it looks it looks fun. It looks totally stupid, and uh, I, I just Jim Carrey being the old style Jim Carrey. I always approve of that. Uh, I was expecting a Showtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kids of the nineties. Yeah, oh, but also man. I don't know if you, if you got you know Colonel Ty is in it for a second, so that's yeah, fun. I saw that. Yep, yep. And then uh, Dumb oh, yeah. Dumb Dugan's in it, also known as Robert Qualls from Justified. Oh yeah, great actor, great actor. All right, um, all right, all right, all right, all right. That's let's move on. Fun. Yeah, that's enough catching up on pop culture. Um, so, where do we go from here? Nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, where baby. Nice. All right. Let's summer yeah. love. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Everybody, everybody tried sixty oh. nine ing in nineteen sixty nine. What? <laughs> what were you guys doing in nineteen sixty nine? Uh, I was swimming around in my dad's little testes. How old, uh, yeah, how old, how old was Scott? Scott was probably still living in uh, Baltimore, California. Was it Baltimore, California? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, California. Yeah. Yep. Uh, 1969, let's see. Uh, he was probably only like 13 years old. Probably already a shithead. 
<laughs> no doubt. <laughs> and if I remember, um, my, I remember my uh, uh, Brandstad uh, Sharf chronology chronology. Uh, and probably was still in the Midwest somewhere. That's correct. The old, the, the plains of Nebraska. She yeah, was, you know, yep. And then uh, Margaret was probably just coming off the boat from Portugal. You, you got it. Uh, <laughs> it was from the, close, it was from the Azores, but yes. Uh, yeah, off the coast of Portugal. Would have been uh, either that year or around that year. So there you are. Yep. Eric, where were your parents? Uh, Joan would have still been uh, uh, bop sopping uh, Scott sock hopping in high school, uh, cheerleading, you know, maybe dipping her toes in counterculture. Jeffrey Anderson, as we'll hear, a little interview I did with him scattered throughout this episode. He oh, was just becoming a man. He was uh, finishing up high school. His uh, his band, the psychedelic rock stylings of Sedate Sunshine Colony, um, were shredding it up through the Central Valley of California. Um, and uh, I believe he even provided a clip for us. So uh, enjoy those little snippets as we talk. As somebody who uh, did was involved in the music scene in some degree of the psychedelic folk era coming out of 1969. Hey everybody, Jeff Anderson here and it's 1969. What a change was happening that year, let me tell you. Prior to that, uh, the psychedelic was hard and heavy and stinging to the ears, and a change was in the air, and it was kind of led by um, David Bowie and Space Oddity. It became more ethereal sound, uh, more harmonic, uh, some fine harmonies. Well, all right. Great. Oh, oh yeah, and I, I'm sure my dad was uh, knocking over the uh, trash cans and cows in Lincoln, so... <laughs> up to no good he was he was ace merrill in uh stand by me that's, 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 that's right C- cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve that's the extent of the auto bio now we're gonna try to figure out where our parents lived i'm sure everyone's gonna love that oh yeah yeah well that'll be great what else it's what, cool what else eric was going on in the summer of is, is 69 the summer of love or is it 68 69 is the summer of love um naturally uh so one, you know, when you look up 69, I mean, it was the year of the moon landing, um, but it had not happened until after this album was released. The and moon, um, the, moon, the moon landing, you say? Yeah, but it was the space race big time this year. Much like um, much like what is uh, chronicled in the uh, the Rammstein music video for the song uh, America. Right, Mark? That is right. Oh, speaking of Rammstein, did you guys hear the new Rammstein song? Radio. 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 Yes. Yes. Radio. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a very, oh, yeah. very a good song. Earworm. Eric yeah. is going to drop a clip right here. Radio. My radio. Ich lass mich in den Ecke saugen. Meine Ohren. 
about 17 days away from the new album, gentlemen. That's right. Um, so yeah, the space weight race was on starting in 1961 when Kennedy asked Congress for millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to put a man on the moon. The Russians beat us in space, uh, putting the first woman in space in 1963. Uh, and those Russian cosmonauts took up much of the space excitement. Finally, after some disasters, uh, 69, the uh, Apollo 11 made its way to space, to the moon. And uh, I'll talk about how that intersects with this album when we get there. But the space race was clearly in the heads of the artists across the world as David Bowie was writing songs about such things. Um, some other things in 1969. Cost of living. The average cost of a new house was $15,000. The average income in one year was $8,500. Uh, let's see some other interesting things here. Of course, significant music events, Woodstock attracted 350,000 rock and roll fans only to be one-upped in 1994 when, uh, Sheryl Crow and Blues Traveler <laughs> and Salt and Pepper. Actually, that Salt and Pepper performance is fantastic. But of course, season one favorites, Nine Inch Nails really stole the show. On that, on that, uh, four days of peace, three days of peace, love, and music. But, anyways, you know um, they just, they just canceled Woodstock '50. Is that true? They did. They canceled they did. it. They did. Yep. Yep. Nail in the coffin. Sean on I wouldn't sign, so that was it. They were like, "Yeah, we can't get Sean on us, so we're done here. We can't do it." <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, you know, Jack Johnson's uh, asking price was too high, and just shot the whole thing down. Yep. Little pump was demanding too much. All these SoundCloud rappers who I'm sure they would have tried to get to get the old youth of America to come on out, but uh, didn't work out. And by the way, also speaking of music festivals, I have never heard of Stagecoach before this week. Call me out of touch, but I don't follow the country version of Coachella. You guys hear about Stagecoach? or am I do, I... only because okay. my brother's wife's really into country and he went. And took a picture of himself uh, in a ten-gallon hat. Nice. <laughs> All right. So I didn't hear about that till this week either, because somebody from the, I went to high school with Mark and I posted a video of it, and it was like the opening of it, and all the people that attend run in like uh, uh, just uh, people that were have been in the desert for a decade and see water for the first time. They when they open the gates, everyone runs in like it's the greatest thing in the world. But it's all, you know, Chris Ledoux fans. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is Chris yeah. Ledoux even still with us? I, I don't <laughs> think he is. <laughs> Went down to the water. Um, but if Alabama wasn't there to reunite, then I'm not in. I'm not interested. I did see a great picture of Tom Hanks, uh, fully bearded in uh, Western wear. As he breaks the night to cry. It's really me. Uh, so, uh, it, those of you who follow um, historical fiction like uh, Twin Peaks or The X Files know that this was the uh, this was the year where Project Blue Book uh, <laughs> uh, concluded there was no evidence of UFOs. Uh, suspiciously, uh, music uh, Beatles put out Abbey Road. This year. How do you feel about Abbey Road, Mark? 
solid record. That's actually probably my favorite Beatles record, I think. Yeah, it's fair. How about you? It's a good one. I I I I don't feel like I'm qualified to comment though. Every time I listen, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's good. She's so I- heavy is a all timer. that melody at uh, medley excuse me at the end of the album as it goes from like golden slumbers to carry that weight to you know the queen something or other it's a solid record solid record nice yeah it's a good um one. so a couple other things what, here what, uh Viet- what, a, what, a, what a what a hot take that beatles album is good yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that Beatles, yeah, what a hot take. Watch out, controversy. I good know. Beatles album. They uh, might be onto something. I don't know. Yeah. So that's yeah. the only speaking, is that the only record speaking of the only record. Speaking of Beatles, though, sorry, speaking of Beatles, uh John Lennon and Yoko Ono married that year. Um no, I mean, listen, hey, uh Johnny Cash's song Daddy Sang Bass was a top was a top twenty. Um James Brown was blowing up. Rolling Stones' uh, "Honky Tonk Woman" was huge. Other big artists this year: John Denver, Marvin Gaye, Jimi Hendrix, Cream. John Denver? Did you say John Denver? I did say John Denver. No, oh, John Denver. Well, he—I thought of him a lot on this album, so that, that's good. <laughs> um, Elton John and Pink Floyd were also breaking through. Um. Uh, but really, you know, come on. The Vietnam War was going on and the protests were in full swing this year. I've never um, heard of the Vietnam War. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, well, listen, there's a Ken Burns documentary <laughs> that I highly recommend you uh, watch. And you'll not only get a better retelling, but you'll get a great Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross soundtrack. And my father, Jeff Anderson, had some interesting words to say about this conflict. So much was happening in 1969, it was hard to wrap your head around it. I was a healthy 20-year-old who had just started college, and I got my draft notice. And I knew I was on my way to Vietnam. I went to the induction center, and I saw about half of my class in high school there. And everybody was there for the same reason. The student deferments in in college uh, had disappeared. We went into a lottery system. I was number 340 something, and I knew I was on my way. Uh, Fortunately for me, I had a problem with my ear that I couldn't get my head wet, or my ear wet anyway, and uh, they did not want me. How about that? It's amazing how things work. So go for it. Um, but uh, there was a march of 250,000 people on Washington to protest the war. So I think uh, this is where, you know, this is obviously the first war where the American citizens were souring to it. And unfortunately to the soldiers as well, which, uh, you know, led to, you know, decades of, uh, we've never really fully recovered from that. Someone could, someone could tell you that was the, that was the year America lost its innocence, but I'm sure I'm not the one to tell you that. I didn't come up with that. I don't know who did. And I won't quote my sources. Don Henry. Um, 
This was the year they initiated the draft lottery for soldiers to join the war, uh, requiring them to. And that was probably a big reason why uh, it was such a uh, so many protests. And then a Stonewall riot happened at a gay club in New York City. Uh, <laughs> long and short of it was police raided a gay club um, and people felt like injustice was done. So like 500 uh, people showed up to protest the raid and it turned into a riot. So the best possible riot. Well, um, more important news uh, before Eric just delves into geopolitical stuff and pretends we're PBS. Is that uh, the, the New York Mets won the World Series over the Baltimore Orioles? Those amazing Mets. It's a, it's a matchup you're not going to see anytime soon. The uh, Boston Celtics beat the Lakers in the NBA Finals. And back then you had the uh, ABA Finals still, which uh, the Oakland Oaks defeated the Indiana Pacers. So that's exciting. And, that's interesting, uh, yeah. The, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Raiders for the AFL Championships. And the Minnesota Vikings beat the Browns for the NFL Championship. Yeah, I don't know if the Super Bowl started yet because those two were separated. There you go. Really? No, I take it all back. Uh, I think the New yeah. York Jets won the whole, Super the whole Bowl, shebang. Super Bowl three. The uh, the Jets upset the heavily favored Baltimore Colts with our buddy Joe Namath. Joe Namath. Old Jolton Joe. Joe Namath and those sideburns, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Burns. Um, um, I'd be thinking of Don Mattingly, but who knows? It's all working. Is Go that ahead. All you, you got for sports? That's our sports talk. Sports. All right. Uh, just a final bit of news. Um, in a freshly signed double contract with the devil, both Charles Manson and Richard Nixon rose to power this year. So <laughs> there you go. I love uh, Billy West's um, version of Richard Nixon from Futurama. <laughs> in the head in the jar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I um, uh, I just, Lennox is obsessed with presidents right now. And um, just for fun, it was on TV. I showed him uh, that. Do you remember that movie from like the late 90s called Dick? Yeah. which was like, it was yes. basically like Watergate, but it was done by like kids in the hall and Saturday Night Live actors. And it is so freaking funny. Oh yeah, of course it, it's got like Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst in the title roles, but not title, yep. but the main roles. And it's yep. got Dan Hedaya as as Nixon and he is freaking hilarious in it. Saul Rubinek is a Henry Kissinger. Anyways, it's very good. But Will Ferrell and um, Bruce McCulloch from uh, from Kids in the Hall, and, and uh, anyways, it was uh, they're Woodward and Bernstein in a in every scene they're in steals the show. Anyways, I'd recommend revisiting that movie. It's very good. I'll check it out. I've always I flew right past that because the the, and I'll be honest, it was the stupid poster. It was just like I think it came out around the same time as when uh, maybe a couple years after Clueless. Um, oh but, yeah, you the, know. The, the poster look. It, yeah, it's it's. I think the marketing was pretty terrible, but it's it's a great it's a great little revisionist uh, revisionist history movie. Uh, and pretty drop dead gorgeous. I'm thinking of drop dead gorgeous. Oh as yes, well. there you go. Yeah, yeah. and I've, th- those movies are fine. Yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know. I just was like, nah, I don't know. Right. But good to know. Yeah. Excellent, excellent recommendation. All right, on the on the silver screen, well, on the tiny screen, we got to see the debut of the Muppets. Well, specifically Sesame Street. Oh. On PBS, 
Yeah, there you go. Good for them. If you were looking for styles around you, bell-bottom jeans and tie-dyed shirts were part of teenage fashion. And uh, uh, popular films were The Love Bug, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which great you, movie. You rewatched that one recently? There, Mark, I on have. your AFI list. Yeah, that solid, one. That one solid. is a good fucking time. That's it's a good one. If, uh, have you seen The Sting? Yes, the oh, chemistry yeah. between Redford and Newman. It's Top unbelievable. Yeah. It's uh, it's like what we've got going here. You know exactly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I. To a lesser extent, yes. Uh, easy, <laughs> easy rider. Um, hey, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Can I can I spoil one thing for Avengers Endgame? It's small. Yeah, I don't care. It's really small. Care. Yeah. Well, I do care, but yeah, if it's not if it's small, go for it. You see Robert Redford for a second, and um, oh yeah, his character looked, from Captain America. Yes, he looks. At this point, he looks like a catcher's mitt that somebody threw a mop on top of. It's, um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to be atheist, but man. You know what? I want like to. I do want to see that bank robber movie that he did with Tom Waits last year. I heard it was actually pretty fun. I forget what it's called, of course, but he did a movie with Tom Waits. It's supposed to be fun. I'm going to see it. <clears throat> um, uh, Midnight Cowboy, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Where Eagles Dare. Those were the big films of the year. All right. It's a great have it. Put that Iron Maiden in your film. pipe and smoke it. I, lo- I love how uh, uh, Eric's going through all this. <laughs> I don't know what website he pulls his historical stuff from, but it, ha- it has such gems as, you know, the clothing of the time was bell bottoms. <laughs> 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 I, yeah. Real. Yeah. Yeah. Real. Thanks yeah, no brand names or anything. Yeah. Quite an obscure factoid you got there. Yeah. <laughs> listen, I, how many, I mean, listen, I, I heard most of our downloader and listeners are teenagers, so maybe they don't know this, you know, Hey, listen, <laughs> we're very popular with the, with the, with the 18 to 24. Maybe we'll bring bell bottoms so. back. I won't love- be, but Steve, if you wore bell <laughs> yeah. bottoms next time I saw you, <laughs> nobody would be surprised. I would love it. I would. You're just gonna dust off those fat jankos <laughs> and call them bell bottoms. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, my Sugar Hill Gang pants. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's, let's go. Yeah, let's, let's get, get into it. this. So this album. Yeah, all right. This goddamn album, it was pieced together. It was pieced together from a few different places, wasn't Eric? This wasn't all just recorded in a weekend. Well, yes, and well, what 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 happened was the songs weren't just made for this album. It was actually a kind of a clusterfuck. Um, so his he got out of his record label with was it Durham Durham the the what is it you you know how to say this, Steve? The, uh, I, think, the I think you're right. It's uh, Durham. Durham. Yeah. Graham, yeah, and he and that's where he put out like a bunch of ridiculous <laughs> laughing gnome and such type songs. Um and Yeah, but they're borderline novelty his, songs. They are borderline novelty songs. And he got out of that and was basically trying to uh get a new record deal, and in doing so Half of these songs he did as singles. While he was doing this, he and um, his girlfriend of the time, uh, Hermione Farthingale, and had they didn't a, get married, did they? 
I don't think they got married. I think they were just together for about a year. Um, yeah, they never got married. They were just boyfriend, girlfriend. Oh, thank you. Yep. You're right. Yeah. He, uh, well, okay. Well, just hold on, Eric, Mark, you need to remember you're talking to Eric and Eric is, uh, when a man loves a woman, they're together forever. So it, <laughs> it's hard for him. And when he hears the two people split, he assumed they were married, of course. And it's uh, true. well, if they, if they weren't, they certainly weren't living in sin. Um, <clears throat> no, come on now. Okay. Speaking of living in sin, um, by the time he started an art community, it was called, uh, the, they were basically called like the lab and they would meet uh, AKA the growth lab. They, <laughs> they would meet at the three turns, three tons pub. Um, in uh, what was it Beckenham, in his in his hometown of Beckenham, and uh, anyways, that's where they were living. They had this arts community where they were just they were they were it was it was basically like <clears throat> it what they would they, they wanted to make an art community for people that just weren't the disenfranchised. They wanted the average Joe to be able to come in and create something. Um, but half the time they were doing like mime shows. Uh, it was basically and, Nevada, um, basically Nevada City. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so their, their, uh, slogan was growth is people growth is revolution. And a lot of what I'm getting this from is that, um, uh, pushing back the Dame website that I reference often. Um, so, uh, anyways, he was running this lab for a while and performing shows often, but he was notoriously a curmudgeon. He didn't really enjoy doing this. It wasn't really working out the way he wanted. And I think frankly, the people, the hippies involved in this were annoying him. So a lot of that comes out in the songs that he records that we'll get to, you know, later on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. One of the highlights of the album, which I never had any idea what it was about until uh, we did the podcast is definitely about that. Right. And he was definitely playing music that was in fashion at the time. It was psychedelic folk, um, you know, primarily driven by acoustic guitar, but he brought in electric and um, sort all sorts of crazy instruments, like stuff he bought at like a kid's toy store and stuff like that. <clears throat> and he did record a single that kind of spearheaded all this that got him his record deal, and it was Space Oddity. Um, and then... Uh, by getting, you know, uh, and I'm sure we're missing uh, years and years of excitement, but basically Space Oddity got him his record deal, and he did have an opportunity to, to re-record some of the songs he already had. Um, actually, of course, it's not going to come out till next month or later this month, but they are releasing all of the original demos with songs that nobody's ever heard before that he'd made in between the, uh, the old stuff and this album. Um, but... We're not going to get to that clearly. So <clears throat> um, maybe we did have a house. Maybe when we roll the dice and we end up in the laughing gnome years, we'll cover it then. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. Um, so he did have a uh, crew of people he used to record this album. Um, so he, somebody named Gus Dudgeon, not Dungeon, but Dugeon or Dudgeon. Um, was the be was the producer initially, but Visconti was unhappy with the production production quality, and essentially Tony Visconti took over <clears throat> as it went on. So this wasn't the, but this wasn't the. They already knew each other before 
this album was recorded, London, right? Like this England. Is the, they, know, they didn't, did they am, get to know each other for this? I am a man on the planet Earth. I'm a man of words and a man of music. Amongst all of you, my friends and... Well, I think some of you are my friends and fellow artists, but... God, are we all not something more than just this acoustic guitar and scribbles about faded love? Hey, uh, uh, Rick. Rick Wakeman. Uh, who's this guy? He told me to come over, bring my pan flute, uh, do a little... And then you bring this stringy-haired guy in here talking about what? what what's he got? He's got notes over there. He's got space on. He's going to sing about space. I mean, I never heard. I mean, hey, I'm from Brooklyn. I've seen everything. But I've I never seen that before, okay? Um, so you want to sing about space, huh? Good sir. I... Who, who are you? Tony. Tony Visconti. Nice to meet you. Mr. Visconti, pleasure to make your acquaintance. This is, uh... These are my friends. We are known as the, the Growth Lab. And, well, I do feel like we've been growing, but perhaps I've hit a wall. And frankly, I think the majority of these people are assholes. Now, would you be interested in possibly helping me sing about something more than these assholes? I'll tell you this, I may be a rough and tumble guy from the hard streaks of Brooklyn, but I ain't no asshole. And uh, if you want to take some of those space lyrics and let me throw us some crazy sounds over it, I think we might have a partnership. Here is what we'll do. I've got this box over here of these songs about going to coffee shops and getting sneered at. But at the same time, every night I've been staring above... And that beautiful Milky Way up there has been screaming to me. This wild-eyed boy from Free Cloud, that's me. I'm, I'm the wild-eyed boy from Free Cloud, by the way. It's been telling me that up there, things are a bit less straight and narrow. Up there is where we should focus on. Up there, up in space, things are odder. And I do believe that is where the hits are. Eh, Tony? Ah, you really are an oddity, pal, but that's all right. I think you got yourself a bingo. Yeah, no, around this time, uh, Tony Visconti was already, he, he was already in, uh, buddies with uh, T-Rex in some of those glam rock scenes who... I don't think those guys were exactly glam rock yet, like Mark Bolin, but um, he he was in a band with the. Uh, he started making more. This is around the time where he, him and Mick Ronson, and uh, John Cambridge, uh, were in a band called The Hype, and they were also kind of hanging out with David Bowie, so I think that's when they started working together. Um, they didn't they didn't become like David's full band for, like you know the man the man who sold the world is really where they hooked up. But Tony Visconti and David Bowie were were still palling around at this time. It's hard to see where it begins and ends. Gotcha. Yeah, so they were uh, basically orbiting in the same social circles. Yeah, um, in uh, kind of the London, England area, and uh, 
I would probably say Tony Visconti, Visconti um, was probably influential in uh, the development of David Bowie's sound, especially in later records. Um, and I think you can hear a little bit of a prototype version of uh, the signature Bowie sound from the 70s that kind of little skews more towards glam rock. Yeah, it's um, not like the full produ- on this record. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely parts where the the progressive and the glammy stuff kind of shines in on this record. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely not as heavy of involvement later. Uh, I mean, he plays Viscani played some of the flute and recorder on this album, so he really you know helped him expand his horizons. Those damn flutes. Yeah, and oh, yeah. yeah, so that that was that was Tony's kind of, and then he was obviously took over as producer. Um, we also uh, had Tim Renwick. Are you familiar with that name, Stephen? On, on electric guitar. Oh, let me think. I feel like this is a quiz question. Tim Renwick. That's, it's fine if you don't. Um, he uh, performed both with uh, Roger Waters during the Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking oh, Tour. yeah. And then later, uh, in the momentary lapse of reason, you probably have seen Tim Renwick live oh. because he was in Pink Floyd's touring band during Momentary and also uh, the Division Bell. Ah, uh, yes. So. Yeah, so I have seen Tim Renwick. And uh, yep. yeah, even though they're extremely overproduced, I do enjoy those live formations of Pink Floyd that are so late 80s, early 90s, it hurts. But, oh, yeah. This, oh, like, <laughs> A lot of echo on them drums. Yeah, uh, in baggy suits, shoulder pads, and G.E. Smith looking motherfucker <laughs> playing the saxophone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yep. So who else? Who else? Uh, Eric is on yeah, the album. Yeah. So we had we had Mick Wayne also on guitar. He um, was like a house musician kind of guy. His biggest break was this. Um, and but before this, just only notable fact was he uh, he played in a band called The Outsiders with Jimmy Page. Um, now, big time studio musician is a gentleman named Herbie Flowers. Herbie Flowers was the bass player on this album, and he's uh, the bass player uh, uh, that invented that sick bass line from Walk on the Wild Side and played all over Lou Reed's Transformers. Oh, great. Yeah, he's on, he was in T-Rex, too. So that's uh, the, all these Oh, yeah, that makes out. sense. And Mark Bolin is on um, Mark Bolin is on some of the, uh, the later, like the single mixes of some of these songs. So we'll get to that. But not on the album. Um, no. Are you sure? I thought he was on some of the backing vocals for Memories of a Free Festival, but maybe not. That sounds about right, but I don't think he's playing guitar on them. Uh, no, I think he was just... Memory of a Free Festival. Part. Yeah, the single the single version that we'll briefly discuss, it's split into two, I think. Yeah, I, I think he might have more to do with that. Yeah, actually, we'll get, we'll get to that. That's actually the first formation of the Spiders from Mars band which we'll talk about. Yeah. But anyways, it gets complicated and we'll, we'll, we'll break it down. Well, yeah, I guess uh, we also have they're, uh, pardon me, but I mean, no, you're, good. you're taking all these damn singles and you know, the, uh, the, the, they got stitched together over the years. And that's why the personnel on this album is absolutely all over the place. This was not just one band. I mean, you got, no, you've got at least one, two, three, four guitar players. You have three bass players. You've got uh, at least two mellotronin players, uh, one harpsichordist, uh, three drummers. It's uh, uh, two two harmonica players. It's it's all over. Yeah, you had uh, Terry Cox, 
who was the drummer who um, drummed with uh, Bee Gees and Elton John. You had Rick Wakeman from Yes, who played Mella, the, uh, the, Mellotron. the Mellotron. Mellotron on this album, which great. And you could tell us there's some great uh, textures on this uh, on this album. Um, and then you have Paul Buckmaster, who's like famous for his string arrangements for Rolling Stones, Carly Simon, just very much of the time. Well, it's like funny this it's folk it, music that was getting to have the string. So it's funny you say Carly Simon. That's not the first time that I'll that she'll be mentioned. All right. And uh, Rick Wakeman um, wore a cape. Yes, he wore an amazing wizard's cape. There's a great his, his wiki his wiki picture is a, is a great. How do you feel about yes? talk about them on this podcast one episode or two but um yeah they're good i i think that their singles are actually their more popular songs are popular for a reason i think roundabout's a, a great song i think uh heart of the sunrise is a great song um rarely yeah. have i ever sat through any of their albums i think i've listened to fragile all the way through once as opposed to the fragile by nine Nails, which i've listened to 700 times um yeah, they're all right. Yes is okay. And I, I, I don't have an, I can't speak very in depth about them because I haven't listened to them uh, a lot. Mark might have listened to them more than I have for all I know. I mean, the Fragile album from Yes, or it's just called Fragile. Uh, that's, that's a good record. And uh, those two songs that you cited, I think it's wild that the same band that uh, churned out Hearts of the Sunrise also is responsible for the song Owner of a Lonely oh, Heart, a good song. which is... <laughs> It, it is, is a great a, song. It is a great song. I mean, it's a total '80s pop song. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it it, fe- it feels like when Jefferson um, Airplane turned into Jefferson Starship. Um, same band that did White Rabbit also did. You mean Starship? They eventually just became Starship, and then did uh, uh, We Built the City. <laughs> That's right on rock and roll. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh yeah. My. Yes. Um, I I do love. I think I love, I like a lot of prog rock, but I think what I do like is just a couple of bands I really get into, but the genre as a whole isn't my, my thing, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Is uh, take them or leave them. There are some weird other collaborations like Mark Bowen's on some songs and uh, Mick Ronson's on, on some songs. Um, because as we'll talk about now, when this album dropped, it was a bomb. It, it, it was a, it did not make waves and it was so disappointing for Bowie because his, his uh, Durham work was a bomb. And this one came out and was, it was also a bomb, but, and much to Tony Visconti's, this may have been their first, you know, spat, but, um, they, and it may not have even been Bowie's fault, but after the moon landing happened, which happened after the album was released, they kind of repackaged it and remarketed it to like basically ride that wave of popularity. And then it was a hit. It was, it was just one of those things where I don't, I don't know exact examples of how they did that, but like 
maybe they used footage and for their like maybe made some commercials with Space Oddity playing or whatever, but they basically re-released the album to capitalize on that. And Visconti was against it. Um, I don't know how much Bowie was into it or if it was the record label, but it completely changed the popularity of the album and suddenly was a top 20 record. So what? This- so commercially, um, what did the critics do? Did you see what the critics said or um, do you have that information in front and of you? And for our Jay Sherman uh, corner? That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, I have it in front of me, if you would like. Um, yeah, I have, I have like one or two, but yeah. why don't you? I bet you could probably, uh, probably like parse that down for us. Yeah, I mean, critics that uh, we see here. I, I don't have the Metacritic in front of me, which kind of does the aggregate. But uh, Rolling Stone only gave it like a two and a half stars out of five, um, and that's generally in line with what some of the other um, magazines of the day uh, were giving it anywhere between two to three stars out of five. Unless yeah. you guys want to keep me honest, and <laughs> that's I, and and, and a spoiler alarm, that's very fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, without further ado, should we go track by track? I think I'm ready to go track by track. I mean, yeah, this one's listeners, little... we missed out on a lot of stuff. Let us know. But well, yeah. like I said, uh, this isn't a classic record where we can sit down and just be like, "All right." Uh, David had to get a change of scenery, and so he went to Berlin, and that's when him and uh, Iggy Pop started hanging out, and then you got uh, low, and all that kind of shit. You can't do that. Yeah. This record, it's it's a hodgepodge. It's a rushed album. All the research I've done for it kept making me read about the making of the song Space Oddity, but I could, goddamn it, could not find any info on the recording of the album as a whole. So, Eric, I tip my hat. I got, I, yeah. I, well, my son has been collecting David Bowie, like old, like Rolling Stone, David Bowie magazines and stuff. So I've got some good stuff. Actually. I, I dug through my son's library and I got some good stuff. And, uh, once again, cannot tip my hat enough to, I'm actually going to say the guy's name here. Cannot, uh, tip my head enough to pushing ahead the dame, which is a full just analysis of David Bowie history. Let's uh let's do it. Let's do it. All right, track 1. The track that started it all. Let's listen to a little bit of Space Oddity. Commencing countdown engines on. Three, two, check ignition and may God's love be with you. Don't need to hear Power Man 5000 version. <laughs> All right. So that was Space Oddity. Um, it's a song often parodied. Um, it uh, is a classic song. There's no denying it. It uh, it still permeates throughout our zeitgeist by a countless number of covers. Um, here's my thoughts on this song before you guys... Uh, rip into it. So I think it's an excellent track. It is the one track produced by Gus Dudgeon, who also produced a lot of Elton John. Um, it's uh, pretty much a lost in space uh, story. 
Um, I personally love the hand claps uh, with that psychedelic instrumentation during the spacey freakout sessions. It sounds like Otto, the bus driver, drank the brown water. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a great song. I mean, it's a classic song for a reason. Um, I love the acoustic guitar with a little bit of the futuristic sound. Steven, what do you think? Space Oddity is a good song. Eric? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, you know, this, this, you know what, you, what else? I mean, we're, we're going to be up against this every once in a while on the show. What the hell else am I supposed to say about this song? It's uh, it's one of the, uh, you know, when people think of David Bowie, it's one of the tracks they think of. This is uh, the Flight of the Concords made a goddamn homage video to it uh, that, that sums up why everybody loves this song and the spacey atmosphere that it has. Um, I remember the first time I heard it very specifically, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I remember hearing it for the first time and the feeling it gave me, which was just, I really think that they, uh, they, they, they capture the, the feeling of floating through space about as well as one could. And, uh, even when I was a young kid, maybe an early teen, I was like, oh, this is a pretty wild track, man. You know, I really feel like I, uh, I'm floating in space, sitting in a tin can. But, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, I, I, what am I supposed to say? It's a, it's a rock classic. Eric. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's, you know, it's clear why he got the contract out of this one. It's, uh, it, it is, not only just a great song, but it is a song that clearly continued to inspire him over the years. His, his constant spaceman space boy, uh, references his major Tom character that he created, um, that would kind of be referenced and either visually or lyrically in other songs to come. The themes of this would be revisited over and over again as well. Um, and the music, I mean, this, the, yeah, there's a cool, like almost marching band drum going on. Um, there's acoustic guitar until it needs to get heavier. There's a, uh, like a, one of those, like I said, a pocket electric organ that I believe the story is like, he found it like, like on sale at a Montgomery ward or something like that. And, uh, and bought it and just played it on a few songs on this album. And it's, and you can kind of hear it in the background. Um, the song has a ton of layers to it musically. I like, I agree with you, the claps when it needs to clap, the, uh, when it needs to lose itself into just like competing horns and bass, I think is a really cool, uh, maybe some flute in there. It, it's a sound thing that, that Bowie likes to do. We just talked about him doing it on like black star where, um, if he wants to come up with kind of like a befuddled transition in between two parts of a song, sometimes he'll just let you dive into this ocean of competing sounds until a, a new melody or a new part of the song emerges from it. Um, and that happens a few times on this album, especially on this song. And to cut back in my interview with Jeffrey Anderson, he had a little something to say about this song. And it was reminiscent of the music that my brother Craig and I 
uh, were playing about that same time. So take a listen to the beginning of the Space Oddity, and then we're going to move to a short clip of some of the stuff we were doing. So hang on. And now we go to around the same time, a song that my brother Craig wrote, and, and it was called Starship 17. Here. Starship number 17 is on the way to find the king of heaven. They want to see God face to face, but somehow they got lost in space. Our old band was called the Sedate Sunshine Colony, and we played from 1965 to about 1969, right into there. And we thought we were a psychedelic band, but we really were more like David Bowie, and it was more of a folkadelic type sound. You're right. I mean, just what, how he's describing his life as a spaceman works on that level. Uh, he was clearly inspired by 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, to the, a Space Oddity. What am I doing? Odyssey. Uh, there are a couple... I mean, it's been thought of that this might be a reference to uh, heroin use. Um, although you could make that case for any drug use, just as far as like the countdown as, uh, you know, your reality and your perception. Yeah, yeah, I think that's retroactively. Um, someone just thought that, uh, right. And I don't know. I don't know, uh, exactly what drug was being done where by him and his pals, but, uh, well, actually, you know what? Did you guys watch that original space oddity video of him? Like wearing a white t-shirt bumming around? Yes. No, I don't think I've okay. seen that. Yeah, Maybe it was I, like a promotional. It was like promotional material for when he was trying to get on a new label. Yeah, and so like yeah, they made younger a and he looks even more British somehow and goofy. Um, yeah, it's quite possible he might have been on some kind of heroin in, in this video. So that's it. It's uh, yeah, right. we'll, we'll link it. It's it's absolutely preposterous. It's it, it, he's he's basically like they filmed it in some in a warehouse where they probably in order to get the right lighting that they wanted, just covered the walls in black garbage bags. And he's wearing oversized helmets and just walking around singing. It's uh, it is something. There's there's a couple of lyrics that I find to be a bit of a, a self fulfilling prophecy in the song. Um, the papers want to know whose shirts you wear. Now it's time to leave the capsule if you dare. Um, just kind of like uh, implying like the pressures of being a celebrity, and then possibly the the want to escape from that through, I mean, if drugs is what the song's about through that or, um, and that being going to, you know, going to space. Um, anyways, uh, and then of course the ominous, what did you say? I said, or maybe it's just about a spaceman. Well, that's, that's how they tried to repackage it for sure. After the moon landing. Um, and then of course the ominous, your circuit's dead. There's something wrong. Um, so either, you know, the dangers of finding that escape or just not caring, just the feeling of being numb. So uh, they're, yeah, very interesting lyrics to pick apart in that song. Could go either way. Uh, I'm not convinced either way, but retroactively, as you said, that you could, you could make a case for it, but who knows where uh, his head was as his art community was dying and everybody around him was pissing him off. 
I know the feeling. But, but yeah, you, you know that uh, <laughs> you know the the character of Major Tom uh, popped up among the discography over the years, even referenced in the Black Star album we talked about the last episode. So that's a, that's a through line. That's a through line that starts here. Um, was it, uh, actually Lennox did teach me this, uh, uh, a couple of years ago. He's like, oh yeah, here's the, he, he showed me like this little graph. He's like, yeah, it started in, it started in a, um, you know, uh, in space oddity. And then it went on, you know, into ashes to ashes. And then in the pet shop boys remix of hello space boy, they rap about the uh, <laughs> pet shop boys rap about major Tom. There you go. <laughs> and then you see the space suit in black star video. So there. there was strings of yarn on a cork board as well as I'm sure as he was describing this. And that's at every wall in the Anderson household, clearly. <laughs> so in regard, He's just making the connections, man. He's like <laughs> Carrie from Homeland. In regards to Space Oddity, Mark, have you watched the movie Space Oddity for your AFI Top 100? Space Odyssey. Space Odyssey, Odyssey for, uh, 2001, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that movie I've seen now probably three times, and it's not my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie uh, by any sense they all of can't the word. Be, they all has, can't be Lolita. They all can't not be. I mean, yeah. I mean, the uh, I, I recently actually watched Dr. Strangelove. Um, uh, but yeah, Stanley Kubrick, he's a master. Um, I, I do love what he's brought to the cinema art form but 2001 a space odyssey is is not my favorite one do of you his. have a favorite i think so um i think so i think i do i i really can't um the shining is is fantastic i i love the everything that's going on in that film um clockwork orange used to be like one of my favorites but it's not that great after all things considered um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I mean, shining's uh, a good, shining's a good one. I'd probably say that too. I'd probably say shining full metal so, jacket, path yeah. glory, hell, even eyes wide shut. I'm uh, I'm a eyes wide shut. Apologize. Oh, don't apologize I, for anything. I have a fucking book on the making of that movie. Movie's great. Movie's great. No, I, it's my, it's a lot of levels. No, I, um, yeah, I, I, I like all the most of them, like any movie person does, but yeah, and I actually, I think the path of glory is my favorite one. So. Pass the Glory is a phenomenal movie. Kirk Douglas. Uh, I I'm gonna rewatch Spartacus here pretty soon. Um, that's also a fun one. But yeah, the the ending. It's already a good movie, but I think Pass the Glory is one of my favorite endings of uh, any movie ever. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember uh, watching that with you, Steve, and one of our old roommates. We're gonna class it up yeah. tonight and watch a classic <laughs> nights. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, yeah. So one. yeah, that. But yeah, so, so that, Space Oddity, fantastic song. And yep. Obviously, as I said, it's a class, it's a rock classic. So it's spun off in many different, you know, there's video homages out there. Um, a few years ago, there was a, a book that was a children's book that was put out. And it's actually really good. Um, I mean, I don't know really what to base how good a children's book is, but uh it said it was written by David Bowie and it was illustrated by uh, Andrew Kolb. And it's just, it's the story of an astronaut that goes into space and uh, things go terribly wrong, but it's, it's presented in a way that a, a kid could read it and not be totally terrified. Um, I, I suggest if you have kids or maybe just for yourself, checking it out. 
And then, my God, like any other classic rock song, there are so many covers of this this track. I'm not even going to read them all, but here's a uh, here's a here's a couple of uh, highlights. There's a version by Tangerine Dream, which I'm sure Eric's wife has listened to. Um, <laughs> of course, there's that uh, that gentleman uh, Sue jo- Sue Jorge. Is that how you pronounce it? Oh That's yeah, right. from the. Uh... Life yeah. Aquatic. Yeah. Life Aquatic. Uh, friend of the show, Peter Murphy does a version. Uh, friends of Eric, Def Leppard do a version. <laughs> uh, William Shatner, who I, I actually, William Shatner has some, I actually think legitimately good songs. And Common yeah, people. And his weird cover, uh, thing, like. Rocket yeah, Man. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. But uh, his version of Space Oddity is not good. It's uh, it also it has Richie Blackmore on it from uh, Rainbow, but uh, I don't know how he'll, his Mr. Tambourine Man is fantastic. Oh, it's so ridiculous, it's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Natalie Merchant does a version. Saigon Kick does a version. Are you guys familiar with Saigon Kick? No, I'm aware of them, but I yeah, never it's like early '90s. Them. Like if you think of the screaming cheetah wheelies, you're gonna see uh, Saigon Kick next, along with the Green Apple yeah. Quick Step. Uh, Right in the old bargain bins. <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins does a live version. Uh, that band Cold does a version. Halloween. Uh, those metalheads, they do a version. Power Man 5000 does a version. Oh, we're going to keep going, guys. I'm sorry to do it. I'm not going to be downloading. Uh, uh, yeah, you are. To play, by the way. <laughs> no, uh, you can send me a, you can send me a Dropbox. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll finally be what takes down your computer is. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's about that's about it. I think we'll 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 end with the uh, with Power Man Five Thousand. So, yeah, all right, a lot of versions up, and this is Fair just enough. probably scratching the surface. So, all right, let's go to track two. Track two, unwashed and somewhat slightly dazed. Let's hear a little bit of that one. Don't turn your nose up. Well, you can if you need to, you won't be the first all night. It must strange you to look down so far from your father's house. And I know what a louse like me in his house could do for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So what, the, all what right. the hell is this hippie jam? What is this song? This Unwashed like, and somewhat slightly dazed. This is like a big old Bob Dylan tribute. I mean, this might be, I mean, he, he seemed to have a little, you know, a little fascination with Bob Dylan, got over it quickly. This is about as deep in it as into Dylan-esque. I mean, can we go. blame anybody, but, especially from this time for getting into Bob? Probably not. No, but I think no, we, I think David was, quickly yeah. discovered that wasn't him. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, this, Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Eric. You yeah. start. I'll, you start. I was just going to say, this one's like, I would say it's got some of the more edgy sounding guitar on the whole album. It's got just some like hard strums. Uh, it's kind of like an upbeat, folky kind of thing, but it, it's not afraid to shred as the song goes on. The harmonica just starts honking in the third verse Bobo. or whatever. Well, honking um, on Bobo. Well, honking on Bobo in the third verse. Um, yeah, I mean, it's what's interesting about this song is, I mean, I, I'm really not crazy about this song, um, but just just on the just the 
the audio of the song, the way it sounds, it is a little raw, and he does kind of push himself vocally more than he does. He's a lot more subdued on the rest of the album. And I would say he try to, he gets a little more raw on this song, which is kind of cool to hear. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's essentially a very, very 1969 folk jam. In fact, it's a little behind the time. Like this, this song could have been, you know, you know, for once it was, it could have been recorded 10 years No, there, ago. there are parts of this album where I think, yeah, it sounds dated even for its time. Like it sounds, some of these songs sound like they could be folk songs from a Christopher Guest movie, almost like parodies. There's parts of them where I'm just like, all right, guy, you, what are you doing? And this, this is one of yep. them. What do you think, Mark? That's fair. I actually think this is a cool song. I think it's a prototype song of the Bowie sound from the 70s. It's not as folky as you guys are making it out to be. I mean, like, I'm not, I don't see, like, uh, who's the guy that uh, everyone, uh, Nick Drake. I think that's, like, the the definition of, like, a folky. This has a little more swagger to it. Um, And I, I really do feel like there's, pretty good some instrumentation uh, between uh, uh, the interpolation of the guitar work going on here. Um, I do think that it is a prototype song uh, for what's to come. Um, You know, the songs about how he feels inferior uh, about his girlfriend, who's more well to do than him. Um, But actually I, I, I enjoy this little, this little jam. I think that it's definitely one of the brighter spots on the record. That's interesting that you guys were like, Nope. Bah. No, 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 no. I was, I was trying to say like, yeah, I, I, I felt like it sounds behind the times folk wise, but I, I see what you mean. He does have a swagger and a rawness to the song that I think I can see what you mean by it being a prototype. I think, I think, I guess maybe in attitude. And I think when the guitar finally starts shredding in the last third of the song, I can kind of see it a little bit more. So I do see what you're saying, Mark. And I don't think it's a, like a bad song. Like I, like I said, I think he's, he's singing with a little bit more passion on this than he does on most of the rest of the album. Definitely. Um, um, so I, I mean, I'm not writing it off. I just, I just think it's, it's, it seems a little Dylan-esque and it seems a little behind the times for Bowie, who is usually more of a tastemaker. But, um, but yeah, and I think I like the lyrics of the song, though. And I think I, you're, you're dead on with what it's about. Because uh, Farthingale was higher class and she like didn't approve of his pop music. I don't know what she wanted him to be like a Baroque orchestra <laughs> performer or something like that. She, she wasn't into pop music and made him feel like lower class because he was doing it. Um, and, you know, always had some insecurity about that. There's some great, uh, uh, <laughs> great lines. I'm a phallus in pigtails. <laughs> There's blood yeah. on my nose. My tissue's rotting. Um uh, where rats chew my bones, just like a very visual description of how he thinks the rich see him. Um, and you know, it's wild in 1969. Um, this one came out, I think in November, um, April it had, I, I just quickly looked it up, but Bob Dylan released his Nashville skyline record, which is a little more country oriented. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting that uh, like, you're right. Bob Dylan had already kind of gone through his little folk phase because I think um, bringing it all back home or that. Yeah, that's the name of the album that already had come out, I think. Right. 67, yeah. maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, this uh, I, I think this song is a, I, I would recommend you go back and there's because there's some parts where the production, it really does feel like, oh, this is the 
signature sound of Tony Visconti coming in and, and trying to give the bass a little more echo effects. And um, I don't know. I, it definitely feels a little more straightforward um, that I, I don't know. I it's, it's a good little second track. It's it. I think it's a sign of what's to come more so than what space oddity was about. Mark makes a good point. And yeah, this was the first track that Tony Visconti produced, I believe. Um, I mean, I don't know. It might've got made before space oddity. I don't know how that works or if you even touch space oddity. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I guess when I was saying earlier about my Christopher guest comment is definitely the entire track doesn't sound like a, like a, a, a folk parody as much. It's just the way it, the foot it gets off to with that, you know, the, the, the spy spy pretty girl that to me, it just sounds like the way it's strumming and, and being softly spoken. It very much sounds like some street corner singer to me. Oh, no, I get you. Like right at the beginning, but, but no, then it kind of kicks two, in. Now that, now that yeah. you bring it up, and that's why we have these talks, is that, uh, you know, the, the, the it must strain you down to look for me at your father's house. That, uh, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's kind it. of the, the future vision of uh, where you might go later. Back to the back to the lyrics. I love how the song ends because for most of it, he's talking about how he thinks the rich see him, and then in the end, he basically says like, "Now you run to your window to the porcelain bowl. You're sick from your ears." Uh, but to the red uh, parquet floor, like he's basically saying, "Well, if he has the plague, now they fall in love. Now she's got it, and he's like, you know, and his in his lower classes now she's now tainted by it, which I think is a cool yeah." And you're song. you're spot on with um, what the song was about. There's a uh, a quote from him at the time in 69 where he said, this is a rather weird little song I wrote because one day when I was very scruffy, I got a lot of funny stares from people in the street. The lyrics are what you hear about a boy whose girlfriend thinks he is socially inferior. I thought it was rather funny, really. There you are. <laughs> there you are. There you are. All right. So, uh, I think we can go to the highlight track of the whole album. Um, Track three. <laughs> Don't sit down. <laughs> Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Let's hear a little bit of. Let's hear a little bit of that. No, one. no you know what? Let's hear all, all of right. that one. <laughs> you know what? Get, get, yeah, get, you know, piracy laws, copyright laws, be damned. <laughs> all right and that was don't sit down and uh what can i say guys it's a goof this is, this it's a goof they were having a big this old is definitely goof. uh you know 
yeah, a bunch of people hanging out in their commune somewhere. And uh, somebody comes in and, and David says, don't sit down. He says, what'd you say, David? I said, don't sit down. Hold on one second. Maybe you'll understand me now. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Oh, it's a laugh. Oh, well, you guys remember in the early 90s, there was like a rash of like, if they needed some filler on like Friday night TV, they would play like funniest sitcom outtakes. And you get to see all the, uh, all the, all the, you know, the times where, you know, Tim Allen forgot his lines on a uh, home improvement or whatever. <laughs> uh, well, there was a, there was a, there was a, uh, a trend of outtakes in the nineties and there was a trend of outtakes in the late sixties. Uh, even the Beatles like would use these little, like throwaway scrap things that they would put on the end of songs. Uh, you know, the, basically the origins of a secret song. And, uh, you know, Bowie said, you know, I gotta, you know, throw my, Throw my hat into the ring of outtake, this outtake trend. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what we got and why it wasn't on Sound and Vision. It's beyond me. I know. It was craftsmanship. <laughs> it's a little, yeah, All right. it's just a little so. scale exercise. It's, uh, it's not. It's, yeah. All right, don't sit down. Yeah, that was cute. It wasn't even on the original album, so. Yeah. All right, track four, Letter to Hermione. I care for no one else but you I tear my soul to cease the pain I think maybe you feel the same What can we do? I'm not quite sure what we're supposed to do So I've been writing just for you They say your life is going very well. The grass is letter sweeps the pillow clean. They say you sparkle. I think you nailed it, Stephen. Uh, I uh, I was gonna make a Harry Potter joke of some sort, but cooler heads prevailed, so I decided to not let that uh, that t-ball pitch just sit there. So I decided to not say that, um, but it's a pretty little ditty. It means it does nothing for me. It's just a little farewell ballad to his old, uh, flame, uh, Hermione Nightingale or writhing farthing Gale. <laughs> My God, these British names. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell. yeah. Are they real or are they fake? Either way you say it, even I'm up and can't tell. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have a traditional it's song structure, strong. but it's just, it's just for, it's still forgettable. More strong American names like Lance or Bruce or Julian. And like ladies' names like Jessica, you know, something like that. Rebecca, <laughs> Jennifer, Heather. Now, those, those are strong are, names. You don't write, those are childbirthing <laughs> names. <laughs> those are the names you write letters to. Mark, I know. Eric, uh, this has to be one that you have yeah. extensive notes on. Please tell tell us about the recording and the meaning. Sure. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Mark nailed the meaning. I mean, he was saying goodbye to, to Hermione. Um, he kind of starts by it being a, just a, just that way you feel when uh, you can't, you you love someone so much you can't get them out of your mind and you tear your soul to cease your pain. You're in so much pain. Um, and you know that they feel the same way. So why did they leave you? And that's kind of that feeling. Um, 
And then that, that like, oh, well, look, there you are walking down the street. You look so damn happy. And that's kind of where the song goes from there, where you're all having this pain. The other person seems to have gotten over it so well. We've all been there. Um, hoping, he's hoping she's crying a little bit in the dark. That She looks happy, but she's really as sad as him because, you know, he can't be the only one feeling this miserable. Um, and then the person moves on and he's still hoping that she's even calling out his name when she's with her uh, new, uh, it's basically like that line from uh, uh, what you ought to know by Alanis Morissette, you know, I do hoping know, that, hoping that she still calls out, you know, his name when she's with her new, her new boo. So that's uh yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Very basic. The song is, is gentle. There's no interesting tricks or anything to the personnel involved. Uh, tis what it is. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's from the heart. It's a, it's a breakup song, uh, written in whatever kind of, you know, it, it's, it's pretty basic, even though if it comes across in that airy, uh, 69 Bowie sound, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have much to say about it. Nope. All right. So let's move yeah. on to the next one, which I'm sure everyone's going to have a lot to say about this one. This 10, almost 10 minute jam, the signet or signet. Well, signet it is. Signet, signet committee. listen to a clip of uh, the signet committee and um dear listeners if you did as well you might have goosebumps too because i swear that song gets me every time it's uh the highlight of the album by far in my opinion this is an awesome song this is a like a a a kind of a slowly building story that uh, he kind of increases his intensity in his singing as the story increases his intensity and the music does in the background. Um, not unlike, I would say like five years. Um, That's fair. It even has, it, even like five years, it has, it, it has some jingly and spaciness, but five years has a beat and a strut that almost sounds like it could be from the late fifties almost. And so does the pace of the first half of this song. I don't know how else to explain it, but um, no. keep going. Well, how, how does it sound when it, when it first starts, Steve? The break, break down the opening sound. Cause it, the, the song goes through a few different changes, right? 
major, major yeah, changes. You know, the the boom do doom do doom. The I bless you madly. Do 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 do. Yeah, so it's just bass and soft vocals yeah. to start the whole thing. And then yeah. and then but then the the drum the, the drums snap in and the I gave you that I gave you all. You know you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, I know what I, you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I gave them life. I gave them all. Is when uh, the strumming starts getting really chunky, and the yeah, and the cymbals start kicking in. Um, for some just the cross for some reason the start of this song when the drums start to kick in and the slow pace to the beginning of five years, I feel they're they're there they're there together somewhere in my mind. Yeah, I think it's an epic song. It could easily fit on some latter day Bowie records. Um, it goes through a bunch of, t- uh, tonal changes. Um, I really enjoy the message that this, uh, song, it's kind of the anti hippie song during this era of, you know, where everyone is just loving each other and just trying to, uh, talk about peace. I love his kind of disenfranchisement with, uh, that even the most freewheeling groups with, uh, very high ideals would circle back to being kind of totalitarian. It kind of reminds me of uh, the straight edge kids of today. Um, they have to live by a code of no drugs, no alcohol, no sex, no fighting. But yet if any of their members of that straight edge community ends up drinking or having sex, they beat them up. <laughs> Makes no sense. Or yeah. yes, that. I also think it reminds me quite a bit of the liberal and the democratic party about yep. how they all tear each other down, uh, you know, cutting their nose despite their face. Uh, yep. you know, that enough of the same people that claim to have similar enough views, but if you're not perfect enough in your views, uh, you're not going to have anybody stand behind you. It's uh, preposterous. Yeah. I think, uh, always trying to be perfect um, is uh, it's a futile life choice. You, you can't, there's going to be chinks in the armor. There's going to be flaws that you just have to deal with. And hopefully over time that thinking can be developed and evolved into something like, okay, you may not agree with me right now, but as long as we can compromise about what's the best way to go about things without having to tear each other down, I think that's that's the right way to do it. Yeah, but I think it's yeah. The last minute on this song is quite something. I really love the drummer's march with uh, that little part where I want to live repeated. It is a great song, and I agree with Stephen when you say it's a highlight of the of the album. I agree with that. Yeah, it's a what's that one? But by the way, what's that one phrase? Perfect is the enemy of the good. Is that it? Something like that. I think so. I think it's yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Now this this track. It's a nine-minute song, but it doesn't feel like nine minutes. I, by the time it ends, usually I'm bummed and I want to listen to it again. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like in the same way that Black Star was. That like it never, it, it never makes you look check your watch while yeah. it's going. And that's because I think the sections are spaced out so well. It has a few different movements, and none of it's jarring. It builds really well. But, you know, it starts out with the. It sounds like the band is tuning their instruments at the very start of it. Like they're warming up to play this song and they're like, all right, well, shit, let me just uh, get things a little, is that tight enough? Okay. And, uh, you know, because the the I bless you madly section and then um, it gets into that, like I gave them life, I gave them all. 
They drank my very soul dry. And that's where there's some of the spite starts getting in there. And, um, it so I got, a. I spent a lot of time pouring over the lyrics here on this okay. one. And, uh, you guys are absolutely right. I would say they're just the, uh, there is an autobiographical part to this song too. So yes, in a, in a way, even though, you know, he took a lot from the sixties on this album, he's also fed up with a lot of the sixties and the hippie movement, and the flower children. He's giving it right back um, to him. He's giving it right back to him. Yeah. And he is, and he is fed up with his own community that he's built, that he just, that he just left. And a lot of this is about that. Um, so that community, and it's also community, Eric, that you were talking about yeah. earlier, what was it called? The, um, it was called the, uh, well, it was called the Beckendale lab or the growth lab. And this song, the signet committee is, that's what he's talking about then. It's a, right. Yeah. Yeah. So the song could be Abs- called the Beckendale, the, uh, you know, yeah. paradox or some but, shit. But I mean, I think it, it, it is, but it all is also about the sixties and it is also about politics because he also tells the strange story. And if you really look at the visuals he creates, it's cool because he can tell this, but also kind of craft this kind of crazy. It's almost like a post-apocalyptic, uh, story with like three timelines three timelines it starts in like an early timeline where he's like this messiah that's blessing them and really giving all of his heart and soul to these followers and then uh suddenly the thinker grows older so you get like towards the end of the story the thinker's older he's tired uh he's realized um that things have changed the world's not he didn't save the world they didn't save the world um and then you kind of go back to where it's all ending. He gave them life, he gave them all, they drained his soul. And then it kind of goes through with, um, he, like, he's got nothing left to spare anymore. Um, and he opened doors that would have blocked their way. That's definitely about his art community right there, no doubt about it. Um, and then uh, just kind and of how he felt. the road is coming to its end. Now the dams of no time to make amends. No purse of token fortune stands in our way The silent guns of love will blast the sky We broke the ratchet structure built of age Then we get to uh, uh, the kind of middle where the movement that they created suddenly becomes destructive. The silent guns of love will blast the sky um, and our weapons were the tongues of crying rage. Um, and then, uh, where money stood, we planted seeds of rebirth. So basically like their movement was effective, but it kind of got away from him and it kind of created, created violence. It kind of, uh, destroyed, you know, civilization. Um, I love the part where he's just going through and he's shouting out phrases of revolution mm-hmm. uh you know cut up your friend love is all we need wish you could hear and then he says kick out the jams which of course is an mc5 fan i thought that was awesome um there is a funny on uh, that uh pushing ahead the dame he says you know for uh and he's kind of critical of the song which i disagree with but he goes uh for a song that quotes mc5 you should have done something a little heavier than the harpsichord oh but- man i just <laughs> the harpsichord the harpsichord makes this song I, I disagree. I just thought it was a funny quote. No, um, yeah, no, I, I, the, the jingle jangly morning, uh, of some of the, the instrumentation in this song, uh, as it gets heavier, I think works perfectly. 
Um, no, it, it's there's definitely some rock riffage towards the end of the track, and as it builds, I uh, I think it's just heavy enough. Yeah, no, I am. I like when he says, we can force you to be free. We can force you to believe the love machine lumbers through desolation road, um, plowing down man, woman, listening to its command. So yeah, now it's just become like you guys were saying, like almost like a fascist regime. Um, and you know, kind of him just going back to that very simple. We want to live. I want to live. Like that's what it was about when it started, but it got away from him. These, these, uh, these bastards sucked him up so he couldn't stop them from being destructive. So they sucked out all of his energy. So anyway, it's a, it's an awesome song. It's an incredible story and a really cool music to, to fit it. You know? Yeah. It's, it, it's a little spacey. It's a little heavy. It's a little glammy. Um, but still there's a little touch of the, uh, the Donovan in, in some, in some of it. And um, it's just, I think it's his most, one of his most lyric heavy songs. Like it's, it's, it, it, there, there's a lot of uh, storytelling, like you said, Eric. There's also just a lot of like uh, a lot of the, the the verses don't all have the same structure, which kind of actually takes you back to the Bob Dylan effect. And um, yeah, a smarter man than me on the Internet somewhere said this is his uh, David Bowie's hurricane, which I kind of agree with. Yeah. So, and just a couple yeah, of um... delivery. There's, there's a lot of different delivery styles of the uh, vocalization, this song. And um one that always gets me is that 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 uh that passage where he says uh you know words of strength and care and sympathy, and the way he delivers in sympathy just uh it, it just tweaks my 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 heart every time. Uh, he really he really gets across that he feels like he was a little uh that somebody was a little bit taken advantage of there, and then of right. course the uh, at the end where this it, it has almost two climaxes. The, the section where it's climaxing and he says that, you know, and he wants to believe and you want to believe and we want to believe. And right there, you got that. And then it goes into the, we want to live. And it just goes, I want to live. I want to live and then live repeated. And uh, he shouts it. He shouts live. And it kind of echoes off into the distance. And that's a little bit of the, the strange world building you're going to get in some of those later albums where you can just, there, there's a bigger world there to be had. It's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a great song. I remember the first time I heard this fucking song, I was listening to this uh, in my dad's backyard on a Discman, my, my used copy I picked up from the used record store. And this song right here, I just was, I could not believe what I was hearing. I just thought it was, I didn't know what it was about, but the emotion in it uh, just uh, it took me to the top of the mountain. I loved it. It's a great track. Yeah, it was a good track. 
Yep. I love the, uh, one of the great lines is, uh, with, during the whole chaos of his, of his love machine taking over and basically creating an apoc- apocalyptic world, his whole not hearing anymore, just the shrieks from the old rich. It's a, just a cool, just a cool, like, uh, you know, class, class warfare. Uh, and we do have one class warrior amongst us. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. That's right. <laughs> that all depends on what kind of mood we're in, but yeah, I'll wear that hat. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's fine. That's, uh, that's a great track. It's uh, I, I can't complain about anything about it. All right. Yeah. Solid. Solid. So right, let's go to the next one. Let's, the next uh, track. We let's go got. down. Let's go down south and let's see Janine. Yeah. Right, let's hear a little bit of Janine. Scribble <laughs> do. Steve doing the dad. Mm hmm. Uh, <laughs> boy, your days is dreaming of which my thoughts will drown. So stay, and we can glide along. I've caught your wings for laughs. I'm not obliged to read your statements all again. So take your glasses off and don't act so sincere. What's your need? What's your need? Good luck to know. Squibbly doo, squibbly doo. Uh, I actually, that's yeah, a catchy song. I mean, uh, I think it's we give it the it's business. Catchy, it's, it's a catchy a, little ditty. Um, yeah. It could have easily have been a single. I think it was slated to be, but it just fell flat. And uh, yeah, the song has like kind of that David Bowie song, or, or excuse me, uh, song vocal style that uh, he goes a little deeper in the register. Janine, um, which could even be like uh, in the the tone of Elvis. Um, but yeah, I would agree with that. It has that Southern twang to it and that Mick Wayne type guitar or Mick Wayne was playing guitar on there. Um, actually, uh, I like this song. It's, it's fun. I give it the business, but it's not a bad song, but it's definitely, I keep saying sweet home Alabama. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just so, yeah. it really sounds like, it's like, you know what, you know, let's, uh, and this is even kind of before like Southern rock really was a, a popular thing. It, of course it existed, but this. This predates, so you know, you know what? Actually, the Allman Brothers was kind of already getting pretty popular. I think they should have been in there. I mean, like, let yeah. me ask you this, not to sidetrack you, but uh, where do you fall on the Allman Brothers? Oh, the, Allman Brothers actually... the Allman Brothers were great. Yep, I agree. Yeah. They're great. No, no, the Allman Brothers were great. I think sometimes they might unfairly be lumped in with Leonard Skinner. Um, yep, yep. Who, just Leonard Skinner, whatever. Uh, but no, the Allman Brothers, uh, if anybody out there has never really given them the time of day, uh, I listened to that. I think it's a live album at the Fillmore. This is the most. Cliche oh man. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, It's the most cliche one you could suggest, but that's because it's fucking amazing. So <laughs> yeah. Eric, what do you got? I don't like the Allman brothers. I mean, they're good. They're fine. They just don't do anything for me. Well, I just mean in general about the song. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I don't, yeah. <laughs> We're not taking a survey. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Janine, um, you know, the sound once again, it is like um, like you take a sip of skunk skunky beer at first, but as it goes on, I get kind of pulled into the the Janine. The I get I get pulled into the groove a little bit. Um, 
I do like the lyrics. The lyrics are very interesting. They don't necessarily match the song, but the lyrics are about somebody falling in love, but not wanting to open up to somebody because they almost feel like they have like a, almost like not a split personality, but they have like this whole other side to them that they're terrified of showing. And they, and they explain it in a great lyric where it's like, if you took an ax to me and cut me, like cut my face, I would, you know, uh, then that would be one man, but I would still be standing here kind of think like, it's almost like Lynchian and it's a, and it's a whole, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Dichotomy. Dichotomy. No, what am I? An idiot? Duality. That's what I meant to say. Wow. But, um, kind of crazy lyrics, actually really crazy lyrics. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, I get pulled into it. This was Tony Visconti's favorite song on all of these tracks. This was his favorite. This was his favorite one. Um, and uh, it's a bit, anyway. it's a bit more upbeat than the rest of the album. You know, it does have it has some teeth to it. I mean, it might be it has that that southern uh, swagger to it, but also the end the end of it. Um, I don't know how if they. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a Bowie at the Beeb episode on its own. Um, I don't know if it's on there. I only bring it up because the end of this track there is some guitar wailing going on in the background, and it definitely is kind of a a, a future vision of some of the uh, guitar heroics you'd see from Mick Ronson live with the Spiders from Mars. Um, so it's a uh, it's, it's it's good it's it's a good it's all right track. It's um it's. It's one that I didn't think much of until we uh, were doing the podcast. I, I think I, I I think I used to skip it a lot, but uh, not as much as I skip a, an occasional dream. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Bowie explained this uh, Janine song. It was uh, uh, he said it's a bit hard to explain without sounding nasty. It was written about my old mate George and is about a girl he used to go out with. It's how I thought he should see her. So I gotta there you go. That. Yeah. You know, but, but Janine is actually, it is more, you know, it is a little bit more upbeat. And right after you've just been uh, dealing with the signet committee's emotional uh, overwhelmingness, it's a good palate cleanser uh, with its placement on the album. All right, let's go go. on to the next one, uh, which is an occasional dream. All right, an occasional dream. Eric, what have you dreamed about this song? Very little. It inspires very little dreams. It's it's essentially a guitar and Visconti uh, flittering away on his pan flute like a you know um, like a like a goat boy in the in a in a in a fairy woods. I'm sorry. I, sh- I don't know what I'm saying. It- <laughs> I, I get what you're trying to say. Some like uh, little uh, little uh, trickster like satyr. Yes. You know, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Puck. A little puck. Yeah. yeah. Puck uh, stirring up all sorts of trouble. Um, I mean, it's about the madness. I mean, I feel like it's the madness of wall uh, of love. Um, 
it's uh, essentially it, that's what I that's what I think it's about. I mean, there's not. It's just another love song. It's inspired yeah. by Hermione Farthingale. It's got recorders right, right. in it. I think it's a really forgettable song. I mean, I think I've heard it now like probably at least 10 times because it is one of those tracks that you skip. And I only yeah. have to revisit it whenever I'm doing a complete run through. But it really fits into that 1960s pastiche that is just for me, that is just very bland. That is not my that is not my sound that I really go towards. I think it's silly. Um I mean, I could see it being utilized in some like Harold and Maude movie, but I'm just not. It's instantly forgettable is what I'm saying. Right. It, it sounds like a bad Donovan song. Yes, that this is my comment earlier about Christopher Guest parodies is definitely regarding this song. And yeah. Yeah. It. Uh, I would say there is an interesting. If you look it over, he seems more forlorn for the days like like looking back like when he was in this relationship, when he was young and like losing his youth than he does for losing the person. And that can kind of like go into like, I guess the, when you think about old loves, the, maybe the nostalgia that comes with it has nothing to add to with the actual person, which is an interesting, I don't know, interesting layer, but that's all I got. Yeah. Steven. That's uh, very forgettable. I I'm amused by it more than anything. I do. Like you were saying, you know, uh, See, catching a glimpse of Pan in the woods, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know that that, that doesn't amuse me. And yeah, the the, the recorder's really uh, Visconti in that recorder, man. That I I like picturing him playing it more than I actually like listening to the song. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, if yeah. It's, if you took it off the album, I don't think you would notice it's gone. And again, this album does feel like a patchwork. It is kind of even, you know. Like I said, Janine was a good palate cleanser under Signet Committee, but then having this after Janine, just kind of like, all right, where are we going? Um, yeah. yeah. No, it's a it's a misstep, it, uh, but it's quickly righted with the, the wild-eyed boy from Free Cloud, yeah. which we might Ooh, as Let's well. go to Middle Earth and listen to that yeah, one. Yeah, let's just do that right now. Solemn-faced, the village settles down undetected by the stars and the hangman plays the mandolin before he goes to sleep and the last thing on his all right let's do it all right that was wild eyed boy from free cloud it's a song title that reminds me of an old nes game <laughs> where probably riding through the dreamscape like little like nemo style <laughs> um i think this song could also double as a moody blue song all that's missing is the cold-hearted orb that rules the night <laughs> section i think it's an ambitious song it gets a little bombastic at times but it's still real catchy i like this song so this one's kind of crazy um this one this is where viscani uh and dudgeon split ways apparently Visconti called Dudgeon's version of the song a complete throwaway. Um, I guess Dudgeon brought in like 12 string players and recorded the song only had four tracks. When Visconti took over, it was a 16-track song. He brought in a 50-piece orchestra to do the background, complete with harps and timpanis. Yeah, and that's um, the difference between the single version and the uh, the album version. Right, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, and like, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, these are 
a lot of the single versions aren't terribly different except in like quality, but this one is pretty huge. Um, and, uh, the Mark Ronson is uncredited on this song. Uh, Mick. Yep. That's what I said. Mick Ronson, uncredited lead guitar and hand claps. Um, so anyways, it's, uh, I, I, I think it's a pretty cool song. It's got like, uh, some Tolkien esque, Tolkien esque, uh, aspects to it. Especially when he was talking sure. about the mountain, like basically it's a, it's a cool story about a, about a kid that's not understood by his society. So he's sentenced to death, but, uh, before they're able to execute him, the mountain that he's stood for his whole life, like comes alive and, uh, pummels the town, destroys the town, saves him. So it's a pretty crazy song. But still, I, I mean, like the wild eyed boy from Freak Cloud, he's talking about himself. Yeah. Yeah. He is the wild-eyed boy from Free Cloud. Oh yeah, no, I know he's telling a story, but yeah, I mean, clearly he's disenfranch- disenfranchised. He's he's disenfranchised. He's not. He's he's felt like an outsider. Um, no, I kind of picture. I picture the the just the phrase the wild-eyed boy from Free Cloud. I think of the kid from uh, Mad Max, um, the 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 Road Warrior version, and um, I think I think it's a fantastic song. As he breaks the night to cry. It's really me. orchestration is just uh i I could go for a whole album of that um i i'm actually surprised there isn't one uh from david bowie but i really do appreciate this song and uh that note the highlight of the note maybe the highlight of the album for me the signet committee is my favorite song in the album but around the two minute and 40 second mark he it's this soaring note that you couldn't even but you don't expect it it really just he hits a register i didn't know he had the really you or really me and he he holds it and on the live version of this song with the spiders from mars which is not as much of a uh you know uh, a broadway musical version it's more of a rock version um when he's hitting those notes is right when he the song turns into a cover of all the young dudes and we will discuss that album later, but I cannot think of the wild eyed boy from free cloud without thinking about on the live version. It meshes so well with the, all the. Yes. Yes. I was just about to, uh, I came here to say that. Um, And I think, Oh, you pretty things is also thrown in there too. Uh, Yeah. It's a little, little medley there. Uh, So yeah, it's uh, but no, the Wild Eye Boy for Free Cloud. I really, I really dig it. I think it's a great epic. It's um, it, uh, I, it's really weird. This album is this album's a divided mind. Clearly, you have the folk leftovers, and then you have some of this progressive ambition of uh, space oddity to an extent, but the Signet Committee 
and then Wild Eye Boy from Free Cloud, and even parts of Memory of a Free Festival. And uh, sometimes I feel like the songs that you got to deal with in between them, like God Knows I'm Good and An Occasional Dream, uh, they're kind of tripping up the whole thing. And uh, these the, the high highs of this album that are on these more ambitious songs are why I think anybody even remembers this record. Where the snow had saved a place For the wild-eyed boy from Free Cloud And the village dreadful cry As the rope began to rise For the smile stayed on the face Of the wild-eyed boy from Free Cloud Wild Eye Boy from Free Clouds, another it's another high water mark in the uh, the repertoire. Yeah. Yep. All right, we did it. Let's go to the next one. Uh, track nine. God knows I'm good. Woof. <laughs> and a woman hot with worry slyly slipped a tin of a stewing steak into the paper bag at the side. Her face was white with fear in case her actions were... God knows I'm good. Uh, the last of the remnants of the, uh, the attempts at being Bob Dylan. Um, yes. This is, this is the... And I, by the way, I think we're all Bob Dylan fans in this show. Yeah. But, uh, nobody, nobody likes a, a subpar Bob Dylan, even if it's David Bowie. And that's what I think we're getting <laughs> from God knows I'm good. So, but, uh, the, the, the best part about this is I like... You know, uh, there's the the lyric about a cash machine spit, spitting money over your shoulder. I like that. There's some good there's some good visualization in the lyrics about like um, kind of reminds me of like the piano has been drinking by Tom Waits, where it's like a personification. Uh, you know, you know, giving like li- living qualities to uh, to like uh, inanimate objects that represent um, consumer culture. I think is a is interesting, but ultimately the song is about a shoplifter. It's about a shoplifter. Yep. Um, that's it. Uh, it's an okay song, Bowie did, but it's very repetitive. It's just it's just acoustic yeah. guitar strumming. There's not much else. There's not much other instrumentation going on, which is yeah. okay when you have a voice as good as David Bowie's when he wants to do something interesting with it, but he's really not on this track. Yeah. I was going to say repetitive, Mark, was a good word. Like that, the chorus is just, unne- like, it's just God knows I'm good over and over and over again. It's... Um, and the delivery is not particularly great. No. Um, the, the delivery of the verses is better than the chorus. The chorus is such a throwaway. I, apparently, um, Keith uh, Christmas has been known to say that he walked into the studio and Bowie was sobbing uncontrollably as he listened to the final cut of the song. Just just hated it. Apparently, he was not a fan of how the song oh, turned really? out. Oh, really? That's funny. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, they should have... Yeah. Dumped it in the trash and stuck conversation piece in this place or something. But uh Agree. Yeah, it's just not not doing much for me. And well, life is short. So we might as well just uh go to the memories that are good, the memories of the free festivals. The children of the summer's end gathered in the dampened grass. We played our songs and felt the London sky Resting on our hands, it was God's land It was rugged and naive, it was heaven Okay, so memories of a free festival 
is one of those that has a lot of versions. And uh, they're each worth referencing in their own way. Um, but what's important to, to notice about this is, uh, indeed, um, Bowie uh, put together a free festival. A free festival was actually a common term for just like a music festival that anybody could come to, a hippie festival. So it was one of the final acts of his artistic community was to put this thing on. Um, and he threw it. And then um, during the creation of this album, his father died. And he wrote this song five days later. And he... Uh, you know, he was close to his dad. His dad uh, was actually really supportive of him in his art and financially supportive of him in the things, you know, supporting the, this artistic lifestyle that he wanted to have. Um, and so a in a way he's kind of wrote this song as like a way to go into a happy place, right? Uh, it's full of positive, like positive vibes about, you know, dancing with your tribe out there, but it's a little cynical too. It never gives them that full euphoria that they're trying to, to trying to grab in the lyrics. And what's really funny too, is apparently he hated this festival when he was ready. He was an absolute curmudgeon the whole time. He was not, he did not like how it was going down. He was like, like, why are you, you know, you're here for a free festival, but you're like selling hamburgers out of a, out of a wheelbarrow. Um, you know, you're selling t-shirts. Like there was a commercial too. And he was, and he was, he was sick of it. He was notoriously angry this whole time. So it wasn't really a happy feeling for him. So it was almost like an exercise in trying to create like a happy place to go to when he was sad with his dad dying uh, out of something that should have been happy for him. That wasn't, but almost the fake memory of it gave him that peace. Does that make sense? I mean, that's kind of what, that's kind of how this song has been analyzed. I didn't come up with that analysis. That's I've read it like that from five different sources. It that seems to be what he was doing there. It's just like a contradiction of reality and you know remembering something how you want to remember it as opposed to how it was, um, which might have been how he was remembering you know his dad. So I think I think a lot of people do that. It's easier to have happy memories than bad ones. So yeah, yeah. I get it. Ignorance um, is bliss. Right. Yeah. So this is uh, this song in the album version. It starts with him playing that little toy organ again. And he just starts and he I think the melody kind of kicks right away. I mean, it definitely sounds and it's not just the title of the song, or maybe it is, but from the start, it sounds like some flower hippie shit. Yeah, that's right where he's playing that. He bought that the the Woolworths, the the, the electric yeah. Ford, yeah, there organ. You go. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, and he gets and he starts he starts getting into it, um, and then uh, it kind of builds into a kind of a more more of a rocking song. There's a there's some of those like uh, I would call them like wet like splashes of music transitions that happen throughout it where the music kind of like clashes together and then kind of goes out. There's a Moog synthesizer doing its thing the whole time. And then it, uh, the second half, more than second half of the song is basically the sun machine is coming down and we're going to have, yeah, a party. it gets, it gets total. Uh, Hey Mark, what'd you call the end of, uh, 
of all the love in the world? It's uh, Uncle Fun Time's jam session. Yes. Exactly what goes on here. It's a. I mean, there's a hand if, claps. You've got, you got the backup vocals from Visconti and the boys. It's a. You can imagine everybody sitting in a circle, swaying together. It's it's, but I like it. It's a. It, yeah, it's and, basically and, if there if this song didn't exist, the world would not have had the polyphonic spree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I guess they even cover that part, and sometimes they've done this throughout their career at various live performances. Can you believe that? I can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> I can absolutely believe it. Oh, you're right. No, I see that right here. You're absolutely right. Maybe I saw that and I just but, kind of- Yeah, I mean, I think I, it takes a little bit over two minutes to really get the song going. It has like a little Beatles Revolution 9 section, and then it goes into that Sun Machine sing-along part. Um, yeah. It's fun, but even though like I don't really enjoy those types of- uh, but it's a catchy little like uh, lyric that gets repeated. And I, uh, even before knowing it just made me feel like, yeah, this is either a flaming lips or a polyphonic spree. Taylor made cover version is bound to be out there. And sure enough, polyphonic. Spree yeah. have done this. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's, uh, that's have either of you bothered to see the polyphonic spree live? No, well, no. Uh, it's like, I didn't want to get, I didn't want to get sucked into their cult. <laughs> Did we uh, open for a band that we maybe saw live one time? I can't remember. I feel like I've seen them, but I'm not sure. I guess yeah. it's, I read so much about how they have that, whatever the hell they think they are live thing that I can't remember if I just researched it enough or if I actually saw it. Dare I say it's very similar to this memory of a free festival. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Mandela effect. <laughs> yeah. It's not a bad song. I think it's actually a good closer for this album. Um, it kind of, you know, it kind of winds down at a leisurely pace. You, this album has so many tones and bounces around that having more of a, a chill out song, if you will, is a good way to just close the the book on it. And, um, I mean, for as hippie jammy as it sounds, uh, this band essentially is the man who sold the world band. So it is, well, it's the, um, it's actually the single version uh, when they split it into two, that's the one that has Mick Ronson on it. Okay. So, so it's that version that is the spiders from Mars. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. So that's where you get your first glimpse of them. So yeah, there, there's a single version where they split it into two, where it actually goes in. It, the song starts like it normally does, except immediately Ronson's uh, shredding comes in instead of him and just him in that organ, you hear the uh, guitar come in and the full band comes in right from the bat instead of building up to it. So it is definitely like a more rockin' version. The children of the summer's end. So that's and that's part one. And it actually goes into the sun machine part a little bit before it kind of dissolves into that kind of wet noise. And then part two is just the sun machine. Um, but also Mark Ron or Mick Rock, god damn it. Ronson shredding all over, all over part two. And um, yeah, so that's worth checking out both and comparing it to the original. And it is cool to hear um, the Ziggy band going nuts on that song. 
yeah, in a any 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 of these times where we're seeing more and more Mick Ronson, I approve of uh, that guy. He he was he was special. Yeah, um, yeah. A couple times I, I I heard him like just doing a pretty standard uh, riff, and then I realized, oh wait, no, that's just the melody. Like in the background, there was this high pitched wail just shredding through the back. It wasn't even in the forefront, and I was like, all right, he's doing double duty on this song. It sounds awesome. Uh, while we were talking, I was looking at other versions of this song. Um, it does remind me that the version on Bowie at the Beeb is pretty good, which we'll talk about another day. But uh, yeah. uh, the Mike Garson band, which was uh, the name that Bowie's backup group from the Philly Dogs tour, which I'm assuming is from the 1984 tour, uh, they closed. They they were opening, and they closed their their, their set with a soul version of this song, which I Ooh. sounds pretty cool. So nice. I might, um, might, might have to see if the internet has anything that we could uh, post in the show notes a UK dance trio called Dario G from 1998 did a song called sun machine, which is just Bowie's vocals from the sun machine part over a really sorry, bad house house beat. So, but there's a ridiculous CGI uh, spaceship video that they made for this. Song. So they ripped off <laughs> fucking Eiffel 65. <laughs> Wait, I, Eiffel 65 did it as well. No, Eiffel 65 did blue which yes. was a ridiculous CGI spaceship video. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. I showed my, I made the mistake of showing my son that damn video. Um, <laughs> a couple of the various and sundry uh, B side singles demos that yeah. are available from right now. We already did talk about the memory of a free festival uh, split version. Um, yep. Some of the other stuff that came out of that time, Eric, you want to take it away and get it? Yeah, yeah, there's a uh, Ragazzo Solo, Ragazza Sola, which is the Italian vocal version of Space Oddity. And that's that's David Bowie singing it. And it, it is um, David Bowie singing. Yeah. Quite... We, we got to figure out how many languages that guy knows, because I know that we're going to be coming up against a couple of uh, yeah. different language versions of songs, and uh, this version sounds flawless. Is is uh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, it sounds really good. Um, I think it. I think it actually which... adds um, because almost every language out there is more romantic than our boring ass English language. I think it adds an element of uh, fatalism, if you will to the song that makes it even more impactful. What's kind of funny about this version though, is that translates to lonely boy, lonely girl. And it was all the lyrics were completely rewritten by uh, into Italian by somebody named 
Mogul. Mogal. Anyways, and it's a the, the story. It's a it's a love story about a boy and a girl. That's it. That's not. It's not about what Space Oddity is about. This version at all. Wow. So well, you and if they just if they just translated it word for word from the original, it probably wouldn't rhyme or probably wouldn't have sounded so smooth. Well, then, well, then so, yeah, they just me, made a new song. Let me ask you this: Is the original song just a love story? Now we didn't even get it. Who knows? Uh, the question. heart. The heart is uh, ground control. And the the brain is Major Tom. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and there's the so single yeah, version of Wild Boy from Free Cloud, which we discussed a little more stripped down. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about the prettiest star. Let's hear. Let's hear the prettiest it's the star. Sky that makes you feel tried. It's a trick to make you see white. It can all but break your heart. Says, staying back in your memory are the movies in the dark. How you move is all it takes to sing a song of when I loved the prettiest star. Hurting a star. Well, I'll tell you this much: that bass line takes you for a walk to the uh, the stars and back. I uh, that, that, that's a it's a nice little sauntering bass line. And that, that's that's Tony. That Tony that's on Tony that Scotty. you know I, I thought yeah. it was Tony. So, uh, so yep. what else? What else about this song? Uh, it's um, Mark Bolin on guitar. Oh, it's not, and it sounds like Mark Bolin. Mark Bolin, he has this ability to strum and slide at the same time does that make sense with the way he plays yeah, yeah. oh yeah okay yeah um quite kind of funny when they were recording this bolin's wife uh said to bowie mark is too good for you to even be playing on this record and i guess it cost some drama at the end of the recording <laughs> which i think is which i think is quite funny oh uh, he was so. he did some great stuff we'll, we'll talk more about him but uh but was yeah. this just uh where else well, uh, did, so this ended up being on Aladdin Sane years later. They okay. ended up re-recording it for Aladdin Sane. Yeah. But this this is the same but, version uh, though. Uh, it, oh, no, 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 they do a completely glammed out version on Aladdin Sane. Yeah, I think I think this version a little bit more it, it it sounds like a good song to listen to on a Sunday afternoon. Um yeah. Mark, do you have any opinions on the prettiest star uh, old version? It's a good song. I mean, I I didn't uh uh, I've heard it before. I didn't pour over it as we were preparing for this episode, but no, it's a good song. Yeah, it's a nice little ditty. It's got great guitar work. That's yeah. all I have to say. Sometimes yeah. that's all you have to say at eleven thirty uh, when we were going to be done an hour ago. Um, yeah, that's right. Let's, that's let's right. all right. Well, this this conversation, as they tend to, did go longer than we expected, but sometimes it's worth it to have a long conversation piece I'm a thinker not a talker I've no one to talk to anyway I can't see the road for the rain in my eyes Ah, ah, ah. I live above the grocer store by an Austrian The 
often calls me down to eat And he jokes about his broken English Tries to be a friend to me But for all my years of reading conversation I stand without a word to say I can't see the bridge For the rain in my eyes All right. Conversation piece. Uh, Eric, where was this song originally found? As the B-side to uh, Prettiest Star. Okay. And um, this was released during during the Space Oddity era, correct? 1970, a year after the, uh, the okay. album came out. This is when this single dropped. Like I said, it was weird. Um, it was a bomb. They re-released the album when this space landing happened. And then they like started putting out these weird random singles to kind of capitalize on, okay, now he's got a name for himself. And that's what this came out of. Yeah, I... Uh... I am a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this song. I actually didn't discover it until recently. Um, and, uh, I will have to be honest. Uh, like I mentioned before, I was having a very rough day today and I was listening to all this stuff for preparation of, uh, the record. And I was sitting in the car and something about the song really got me. And I almost was moved to tears by it. Uh, I just think it's a very beautiful song and, um, it kind of just sums up, I mean, it's right there in the lyrics. It sums up the joy you sometimes get uh, just connecting with another human being. That's about it. That's it. That's it to me. And I just think it's really beautiful. So, there you yeah, go. absolutely. It is. It's a, um, it's a kind of, if you look at the lyrics, it's about a kind of a shabby, uh, scrubby guy um, who, lives in a busy city. It's, it's basically trying to conjure those feelings of like feeling alone, even though you're in a super populated area. Um, and, uh, just, uh, urban and on anonymity. Um, so, and the conversation is really happening in his head, but I think you're right. I think a big part of it is just trying to make a connection with another person. I mean, he just has that, the, pow- the power in that. He has that line about, you know, Elizabeth, the grocery store owned by an Austrian. He calls me down to eat and he jokes about his broken English. Try uh, tries to be a friend to me, but for all my years of reading conversation, I stand without a word to say. And so someone's really trying to reach out to him. And sometimes he still doesn't know, you know, what the hell to say. Um, but, uh, no, I just, uh, I, I think it's very elegant. Um, there's not uh, musically. It is another, it's a more fleshed out version of some of these songs. Like maybe, um. Oh God, maybe a letter her to Hermione. Like it's it's it's, it's yeah. the next step of that type of song, but it has more lush orchestration. And earlier when I said I'd bring up Carly Simon again, it sounds like a Carly Simon song to me. And uh, I don't mind. I don't I, mind. It's got a little bit of it's got a little bit of a country twang to it too. Yeah, it's got a like a. A slide guitar almost kind of sound to it. Nah, it's a, it's a very gentle song, and uh, I I think it's great. Um, Mark, did you listen? This Mark, song was. Mark. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Mark, what did you think? 
Um, I'm only hearing it now for the first time. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds like it's a, uh, it's a solid little, little sweet little ditty. I mean, uh, I, I really appreciate when songs, uh, touch individuals, uh, like it certainly touched Steven during a moment of vulnerability. It sounds like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I'm, I'm, man, I'm man enough to say it. Strong men also cry Lebowski. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I'll have to circle around for it. Did they, did he um, re-record this song though? Sure did. It's out on his uh, unreleased album, The Toy, which is not on our list. So that might have to be a bonus Did he do the soundtrack to the Robin Williams film? (laughs) You or the Richard Pryor movie? Uh, hopefully oh my i think the robin williams film is less offensive oh all right well yeah so a couple things there mark me to the joke but uh yeah also the uh, you're thinking of toys that was the robin williams movie ah damn Uh, of which i I own the sega genesis game (laughs) it was one of the top 10 worst video games i've ever owned um Oh, I'm sure. Look it up oh. on YouTube. It was miserable. And then, um, <laughs> and then a little thing about the toy with uh, Richard Pryor. May he rest in peace forever. Um, my stepmom wasn't in that movie, but she was in uh, the crowd scene of Brewster's Millions. So there you go. There you go. Oh, all okay. Connected. All right. So, anyways, we'll see how this song sounds in two th- on a two thousand deleted album called "The Toy," or yeah, "The Toy." Whenever we get to it, yeah, Eric, uh, you have access to that Google Sheet thing, don't you? Yeah, you can have you can add it. Okay, I think I gave you editing rights. Is that even out okay. there? What like the uh, toy? Can I, you even like find that sound or that uh, that album? I'm sure. All right. <laughs> before i put it on the list let's make sure it's even it's accessible even yeah yeah i mean uh lennox said he's heard it so all right <laughs> he's been he's been on the dark web yeah <laughs> oh shit um that explains a lot uh so final thoughts on david bowie man of words man of music self-titled david bowie space oddity the album I give this bad boy a three out of five. Uh, it's uh, disjointed. It's uh, convoluted. It also has moments where you can see where uh, the classic David Bowie sound is starting to be tilled through the soil. Um, but it's uh, definitely not a, a record that I reach for unless I'm doing a big run through. Eric? Yeah, I would say I'm going to give this one a 2.5 out of five. Um, and the, the top notch tracks are all timers for me. And actually Signet Signet committee is actually, was brand new to me for this experience. Oh. I had the joy of, 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 I mean, I'm not saying I never heard it before, but I guess I never, Oh never man, like some of these albums, you've heard them dozens of times, but yeah, I yeah. dug into them. Yeah. And, uh, and so, I mean, that's going to go on my all timer list. Absolutely. Hands down. Um, and actually I really like, um, the closing track. I like memories. I think free festival is a really cool song. Um, and in that it's just cynical enough to not just be a rose colored glasses, look at the sixties. Um, and then I love these, the title track. So those three are super strong to me, but as far as like, if I'm looking at this as not comparing it to his best album, although his best album would be five out of five volts, but just what he tried to accomplish on this album, it is such a mess and such a rushed ordeal that I, 
I don't think I can give them any higher than that, in my opinion. But those three songs are are worth worth the uh, worth the trek. Yeah, um, yeah, it's half of a good album. Uh, I'd give it two two bolts. Um, it is disjointed and it's a stepping stone. And you could sometimes, you know, you could hear Tony Visconti trying to the make. He's getting. They have all these ingredients for something that's probably going to be a good meal, but they don't know what they're doing with them half the time. Um, but hey, no, you know who comes out of the uh, you you don't you don't come out of uh, creation's vagina fully formed, you know. So uh, I know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the Signa Committee, like I was saying, since day one, it, that, that's that out that that song's kicked me in the butt, and uh, I like the uh, Wild Eyed Boy from Free Cloud quite a bit, but there's a lot of stuff you got to go through to get there, and um. We put off recording this episode a few times because I know that all three of us, I, I I enjoyed the conversation tonight. It was a good one as always, but I was not enthused to just pick apart this record. Um, it was it felt like we say it felt like homework at times, but uh, hey, we knew what we were getting into here. So, yep, that's right. Yep, and uh, also I was really happy to discover that song conversation piece. So get a yeah good good little little deep cut. Thanks for bringing that up. As always, uh, we've got my son, Lennox, who's a David Bowie super fan, age 10, with his opinion of this album. And that's right. On this very particular episode, there's three generations of Andersons giving their, uh, their thoughts on this. The work with Tony Visconti is a very cool part of this album, and I'd probably say this album is pretty forgettable, even though it is not a terrible album, not a great album. And I'd probably say that I give it two bolts. And... My favorite songs are Signet Committee and Space Oddity, and I also think that Memories of a Free Festival is a good song. The worst song on this album is God Knows I'm Good, and that is what I think about this album. I heard your favorite song was Don't Sit Down. That's a funny <laughs> song. That's What does that song mean? I just have a question for that. What does that song mean? You better have talked about it in that episode. Oh, we did. Don't worry about that. And of course, uh, before we roll the dice to find out our next album, uh, my father, Jeff Anderson, has a few more things to say about 1969. The political, political arena, arena was, was just, just wild, wild and, and, and crazy. crazy. Uh, there had already been a couple of assassinations. There was rioting going on, student demonstrations, firebombing of college computer centers, um, just all kinds of things. And just for the first time, I think the, the kids out there felt that if they came together, they would really have a voice. And music, as I said, was leading the way. In fact, the protest songs uh, of the day really speak well to what the, the, the feeling was and the anger and the concern about our country and our world. So a lot happened in 1969. I am thankful for David Bowie for uh, putting out the music that he did with, uh, with Space Oddity. And um, thank you, you guys, for having me on this show. I, I hope you in, uh, enjoyed it. And we'll go out with just a little brief uh, bit of sedate sunshine calling music. Bye bye. So, with that out of the way, goodbye, Space Oddity. Um, 
what's next? I actually, I actually, before you, before you say this, like, yeah, <laughs> after going through Space Oddity, which was not bad, but you know, like, I feel like right now I'm gambling and I'm hoping yeah, for let's pull out the diamond dive. <laughs> Come on, <Let's> see. <laughs> All right. Let's do a diamond dog. <laughs> we have. Well, I rolled a, I I rolled a seventeen. Who wants to look up seventeen? <laughs> look up seventeen. <laughs> what is it? Dean was seen with the two back. What you find? It's never let me down. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> we made that joke before we started recording. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, no. Uh, no. No take backs. <laughs> no take backs. <laughs> oh no. Oh. Well, better to get it out of the way now. <laughs> Better get it out of the way now while our while our skin's still thick. Oh God! Uh, Hold on, are we sh- are we sure about this? Hold on, I'm gonna do a recount: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Yep, absolutely. Never let me down. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. I don't. There's. Uh, it doesn't appear to be. Let me see here. Is there any movies during this oh, era? Oh. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ came out during this era, so that'll be fun to watch. Um, Is that a marked list? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, they there is an alternate. There is a alternate, a modernized remake of this album with his original vocals, but a modern production. Uh, <laughs> that we're gonna have to listen to as well. So I've heard. Yeah, yeah I've heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, speaking of movies, we didn't we didn't talk about the two movies he was in. Did you guys watch? Uh, did you watch the clip from the Virgin Soldiers where he walks by the background? He's only in it for two seconds. Uh, no, no, no you can do that. Uh, it's a movie called The Virgin Soldiers, and he walks in the background. It's a 1969 British war comedy directed by John Dexter, starring Lynn Redgrave. Lynn Redgrave. The other thing, did you watch the Image short film? I did not. I didn't know. It's a black and white short film. Looks like something that Eric and Matt Thomas would have made. (laughs) Uh, There's a painting of David Bowie. He stands next to the painting of himself. He's wearing a bad sweater. Eventually somebody stabs him. I think I can't quite figure out what happens. Kind of ridiculous art school stuff. So anyhow, those came out in 1969, but we're not going to talk about those next episode. We're going to talk about an album that came out in uh, what? 1987. Yeah. Yeah. Never let me down. My God, we're going <laughs> to. I mean, I'm having flashbacks right now to working in the used department when I would just see that thing over and over. Return. Oh, dancing through a circus. Yeah. Oh. Right. oh, my. And this is literally David Bowie's least favorite album that he ever made. So um, we got that to look forward to. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. So tune in next time as we as we go through. Can't even say it. Uh, oh man! I'm not Tune re- in as we go through. Never let me down. If. <laughs> All right.